My life flows on in endless song Above earth's lamentation I hear the sweet though far off hymn That hails a new creation Through all the tumult and the strife I hear the music ringing It finds an echo in my soul How can I keep from singing? I'm reminded of that old hymn by our reading from Acts. There they are in prison. Paul and Silas. Their feet are fastened tightly in the stocks. And they've been tortured. They have just been severely beaten in the public marketplace. A spectacle of violence for the entertainment and instruction of the crowd. It's midnight. And somehow, surrounded by other prisoners, their response is to sing hymns. There is a lot to keep them from singing. But they sing because they know a love that sustains them through the pain. A love that is stronger than prison, stronger than torture. A love that is big enough to invite their jailer into. A love that is stronger than death. There is a lot to keep us from singing this week. We live in a time that is in some ways very different from theirs and in other ways not so different. Like Paul and Silas, we live in a society addicted to violence. Ours takes the form not of public floggings and crucifixions and gladiators fighting in the theater. Ours takes the form mostly of people shooting each other with guns. Sometimes in the horrific spectacles, like those we've seen in Buffalo and Uvalde in the past two weeks. More often in ones and twos at a time, in homicides that don't make the front page, in violence between individuals, domestic violence, and also in gun deaths by suicide. By sheer numbers, those deaths dwarf the number that happen in the mass events. And yet, the sheer horror of what happens when a human being decides to commit a random act of sheer evil with a weapon of war, shakes us to the core in a unique way. We grieve, and we're afraid, 
and we're outraged. I'm outraged. I just preached one of these sermons two weeks ago. There is a lot in the Bible about violence. There's a lot about swords. We read about the jailer carrying a sword in our Acts reading today. There's the great passage from Isaiah, nation shall no longer lift up a sword against nation, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. There's Jesus telling his followers, put away your sword, for those who live by the sword will die by the sword. But there's not a lot in the Bible about gun violence. In fact, there's nothing, because scripture doesn't tell us anything about guns any more than it does about airplanes, or germ theory, or the internet. So we, we the believers in our own day, the ones Jesus was praying about at the Last Supper when he prayed for all those who would come to believe, that's us. In our time and place, we have to make decisions based on the principles that we do find in Scripture and based on the consciences that God has given us and the minds that God has given us to follow the Spirit's leadings in our own time. Now, I personally don't like guns very much. I'm not a gun owner. I don't feel the attraction. And I also know that there are 300 million guns in this country that aren't going to vanish overnight. And that about a third of all adults in this country do own guns. And that we're not going to solve our country's problem with gun violence without talking to each other and without figuring out some ways we can agree on that will reduce harm and save lives. That's not easy, partly because there are profits to be made from our gridlock. Today in our Acts reading, we heard about the owners of this poor slave girl who see, it says, after Paul has healed her, they see that their chance of making money is gone. And so they go and inflame the crowd. And they go and influence the magistrates, the political system of their time, to try to protect their revenue. That too has resonance in our own time. There are those who would rather keep us polarized and paralyzed so we don't make any changes at all. Who like it when people like me start talking about taking everybody's guns away so that then people who own guns go out and buy more guns and resist even more strongly any regulation at all. What if we could start with facts and see where we get? One fact, one uncontroversial real fact, is that this country simply has more guns, and more guns per capita than any other place on Earth, and it's not even close. American civilians own more guns than the next 25 countries combined. Yemen, a country in the middle of a brutal civil war, has 52 guns for every 100 people. The United States has 120. This is the only country in the world with more guns than people. In terms of other countries that are similarly wealthy to the United States, the next highest is Canada with 34. 
then it goes down from there. Now, you do not have to oppose the legality of guns to be concerned about that. If we were talking about alcohol, you do not have to be any kind of a prohibitionist to be concerned if a country's citizens were knocking back, on average, a bottle of wine a night. It's fair to say that this country is addicted to guns in a unique way, and that addiction has consequences. Canada has 0.4 gun murders per 100,000 people. Denmark has 0.2. We have 3.8. Now, the human heart is not that different among the countries of the world. And sadly, the ratio of troubled and aggressive young men is not that different among the countries of the world. But there is only one place where these mass events are now routine. And the saturation of lethal weapons is different from place to place, and the ease of getting them for anyone, including a troubled and aggressive 18-year-old kid who legally buys these rifles in both cases. And the difference manifests in lives destroyed. Now, it's also true that we have cultural differences between this country and some others. We have a culture of individualism and self-reliance in this country that may be different from others, and that in some ways may not be completely bad, but that often in this place manifests as a kind of fantasy of power and domination expressed in violence. And it's a fantasy that has deep roots in the legacy of European settlers pushing into native land. A fantasy of self-sufficiency through outgunning the competition. It's a hyper-masculine fantasy. Bushmaster rifles, the brand used in Sandy Hook, were advertised with the slogan, Consider your man card reissued. And it's a fantasy that trades also on images of patriarchal religion. Just days before this Texas shooting, the manufacturer of the rifle used there had tweeted out an ad with a picture of a toddler holding an assault rifle. With the Bible verse, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is a culture of machismo and aggression. It's a culture that manifests all too often in vigilantism against black and brown people, like Trayvon Martin or Ahmaud Arbery. Now, we live in a fallen world and a dangerous one, and we live on this side of God's kingdom. And there are reasons why deadly weapons exist. And there are reasons even why people choose to own them. But as Christians, we should never glorify them. We should never fall in love with them. And the kind of pornographic rhetoric, the kind of compensatory rhetoric, the kind of militaristic rhetoric that is used to glorify guns in our society is a manifestation 
of a sickness of the soul. Now we will not overnight change the human heart. And we will not overnight cure our society's addiction to violence. But if our goal is a little more modest, if our goal is to save some lives and make people safer, there are some common sense things we can do. And on which majorities of Americans, even including gun owners, often agree. This church's general convention has passed resolutions in favor of requiring background checks and permits and safety training for anyone who purchases a firearm, of safe storage laws, and of red flag laws that take firearms away from people who are threats to themselves or others. A lot of these proposals are not dramatic. A lot of them feel a little bureaucratic and boring. They are not going to bring in the kingdom of God. But they would make it harder for what happened in Buffalo and Uvalde to happen. They would lower the odds by putting obstacles in the way. And they would save lives. If you are a gun owner, we could use your help now. If you are a person of honor and responsibility, and you have made the weighty choice to own a deadly weapon for reasons of hunting or sports or self-defense, then you know just how crucial it is that outside those very specific scenarios that that weapon is never fired. And that those who don't have the capacity to act with the same duty and responsibility that you have taken on never hold one in their hands. It is crucial when people who own and love guns work on these issues because that's where the will is that can change things. If you think of yourself as somewhere on the right-hand side of the political spectrum, we need you. Because political conservatism at its best values duty and honor. The veterans we commemorate this Memorial Day weekend who gave their lives in this nation's wars, knew that liberties and rights also carry responsibilities. Our political gridlock is based on partisanship. But our faith, although it is political, is not partisan. And our faith tells us that every human being bears the sacred image of the living God. So let us figure out what sane and common sense steps we can agree on. And let us save some images of God. We live in troubling times. So did Paul and Silas. So has every generation of believers that Jesus prayed for that night at the Last Supper. We put our trust just like they did in the love that is Lord of both heaven and earth, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. So let us pray and let us act and let our prayer be action and let our action be prayer.